for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they, national Israel it means, would not hear. I'd like to minister today for the next little while on the subject, rest for the stressed. God bless you. Please be seated. Today, if you're on our email distribution list, you will receive our monthly newsletter, The Messenger. And my article in uh, this month's newsletter will be for the month of July, is on the art of doing nothing. Now, when I shared that theme with people who know me really well, I got not a few laughs and like, are you serious? You are writing on doing nothing because it's a little bit outside of my nature. But I said, yes, I really am. And I'm, I'm writing about this not because I'm really good at it. I'm writing about this because I need it. And it is a biblical principle. I want to take you back to the story of creation to give some context to the principle of rest in the Bible. The story of creation as of an infinitely wise, transcendent God demonstrating his eternal power and Godhead in the things that he made. Romans 1 and 20 says, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. The visible world testifies of the existence of an invisible God. The intelligent design demands an intelligent designer. Hebrews 11.3 tells us through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The visible world was made by the word of God. He spoke it all into existence. Our Bible opens with these words. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. For six days, God worked. He created. The days of creation from the Genesis account appear to be 24-hour periods of time because the Bible said the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day and so on. On the first day, God created light and he divided it from the darkness before there was sun, moon, and stars. On the second day, God divided the waters, the waters above the firmament that God called heaven from the waters that are upon the earth, waters above and waters below. And then on the third day, God created plant life. God said, let water be under the heaven, gather together and dry land appeared. And then there were seeds and herbs and grass and trees that began to grow on planet earth. On the fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He divided the day from night. He created a greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. It's fascinating in Genesis 1.16 that the Lord said, He made the stars also 
almost as an afterthought that he made the stars also. He set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. It's a fascinating account of creation. On the fifth day, God created fish and fowl. You can go back and read this account in Genesis of what God did. Fowl that fly and the great whales of the sea and every creature that moves in the waters and the winged fowl after his time kind and God saw that it was good and he blessed what he created and said be fruitful and multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. On the sixth day, God created land creatures and human beings. He created a man and he created a woman, a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. God let every living creature, cattle, creeping thing, beast of the earth after his kind were made. And then God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And God gave mankind dominion over everything else that he had created. God created man in his own image. In his own image created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed all of that he created and said, let them be fruitful and multiply everything that is on the earth. And God then said, behold what I have made, it is very good. At the end of the six creative days, God said that it is not just good, but it is very good. In Genesis 1.31 on the screens, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Up until the sixth day, everything that God created was told it is good. But now it is very good. And the heavens and the earth are finished and God has completed creation. And then after six days of God creating everything... Everywhere, on the seventh day, God created nothing. God, you could say, created rest. Genesis 2.2 And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. God didn't create anything. He didn't do anything. He simply rested. And the word rest here means to cease. He stopped working. Now I want to ask you a question. Why did God rest after six days of work? Was he tired? Did he need a day off? Did he need to recharge his emotional batteries? Did he have some things around the house he needed to do? Well, no. The Bible said in Isaiah 40, 28, that the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. God does not break a sweat when he works a miracle or when he creates the universe. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't grow weary. But what God did is he gave us an example in his infinite wisdom for us finite humans that would need to rest. He knew that we would need to take a break. And so the Lord 
rested on the seventh day. Genesis 2 and 3 says that not only did God rest on the seventh day, and God blessed the seventh day. He set it apart. He sanctified it because in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. God blessed the creatures, but he didn't bless the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth days in the same way. But God blessed rest. God blessed the seventh day. And he set it aside. He sanctified it as something that was special and to be set apart from all the other days of the week. During the creative process, God blessed them but now he blesses this day. He blessed rest. Now under the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, God instituted Sabbath keeping. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now Sabbath went back to the seventh day of creation, but now it is instituted legally, spiritually in the law of Moses. Six days, the Lord said, shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, your son, your daughter, your servants, the stranger that is in your gate. For, he hearkens back to creation. In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth of sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. The word Sabbath means to desist, desist, or desist rather, and cease or rest. And to hallow something is to set it aside for God's purpose. So the Sabbath was a day to do nothing. And it was mandated under the Mosaic law. Now there were some exceptions that God allowed but the purpose of the Sabbath was to rest, to create a rhythm to life of work and rest. Six days to work and one day to rest and also to be refreshed. There's an interesting verse in Exodus 23:12, referring to the Sabbath. Six days you shall do your work and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest. And the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Here's another word introduced here to the purpose of rest. That not only will this rest cause you to not work, but it will refresh you to work again. Now I want to clarify that doing nothing, Sabbath, was not for lazy people. God says in six days... You will do all your work. And as I was studying for this and thinking about this, I remembered the story that Jesus told about the 11th hour worker that a man went out and he hired day laborers all throughout the day, even until the 11th hour. So their work day, unlike ours, unless you're like some of us, was 12 hours. 12 hours. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? So for them, it's possible that they work six hours, six days a week, 12 hours a day. And after working 72 hours, I would say they probably needed a day off. 
And God gave them a day off. And this time off demonstrated trust in God. During Israel's wilderness wanderings. You remember that manna fell. How many days a week? Six. Now there were seven days in a week. But manna fell from heaven six days a week. And God said when you go gather manna. I want you to get enough of this stuff that fell from heaven. It was like angel's food, coriander seed. Manna means what is it? You know, like what is it? It fell out of the sky. It's like frost and they gather it up. And they could cook it and bake it in various ways they prepared it. But six days it fell from heaven. And if you went out and got really greedy and you gathered more than you needed so you could store it to the next day, the Bible said it rotted, it bred worms, and it stunk. You couldn't keep it for two days. So Sunday, Monday, Sunday was the first day of the week for the Jews. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when you got manna, it lasted one day and one day only. But God said, I want to show you something. On the sixth day, I want you to gather twice as much. Now that didn't work yesterday, didn't work on Thursday, didn't work on Tuesday, but on Friday, this is going to work. I want you to gather twice as much as you need and keep it for the Sabbath day. I want you to keep it for Saturday. And one day a week, the manna did not rot, it did not stink, it did not go bad, because God taught them, if you will live by my principles, I will bless you. Amen. You've got to work and you've got to rest. And you've got to understand what rest means from the heart of God. Amen. The Lord also instituted a Sabbath for the land. Now this is even more intriguing and manna that lasts two days only once a week is pretty amazing. And by the way, those that went out and gathered manna on the seventh day were rebuked for not trusting God. Okay. So now the Lord says for six years, not days, Six years, I want you to cultivate the land. Plow it, plant it, harvest it. Six years. But in the seventh year, I want you to give the land a Sabbath of rest. Don't plow it. Don't plant it. Don't do anything. Let the land lie fallow. Because he said, there's what I'm going to do on that seventh year, the sixth year. Exodus 23 talks about it. And you're going to leave it for the poor. The Lord said... In the sixth year, when you go and plant your field, something amazing is going to happen. You may ask, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? Leviticus 25. The Lord said, I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year. And you shall bring forth fruit for three years. I'm going to let the harvest of the sixth year last in the sixth year, in the seventh year, and into the eighth year. And the Lord said, until the ninth year comes, you're going to eat the fruit of the old store. Now, this is an amazing thing. That all the other years, they had enough food. But on that sixth year, God did a miracle. And the crops were incredibly abundant. Israel got greedy. And they did not let the land enjoy its Sabbath rest. For some 490 years... They plowed and planted every year. And the Lord sent Israel, Judah and Israel into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. And the Bible in 2 Chronicles 36, 21 said until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths 
As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years or 70 years. God said, you can't cheat me. You can't cheat rest. You can't cheat life. Just like you cannot rob God. It's a trust issue. You say, well, paying tithes doesn't make sense. Why can I return 10% to God and God make 90% go farther than 100%? Well, all I can tell you is that he is God. And he can make manna last an extra day. And he can make food last for three years. And if you will trust him, tithing is a trust issue. Prayer is a trust issue. Living for God is a trust issue. And the Lord taught Israel so he could teach us. These things I taught on Wednesday night were for our example that we would learn from their mistakes to not make the same mistakes like they made. So the Lord taught us at cutting corners on God's design of living life out of balance of work and rest. If you don't have that balance, that it is very costly. You may not go into captivity, but you may go into the hospital over stress and anxiety, not over normal human things that happen because you're cutting corners on the way God designed you. Rest demonstrates, as I said, trust that God will provide for us when we live a balanced life. Now, in the times of Jesus, the Jews had complicated and corrupted the intent of the Sabbath with endless ordinances, little minutiae, the detail of what you could do and not do on the Sabbath. And the principle got lost in the particulars and all of the specifics that made life miserable. Jesus never violated the Sabbath in the days of his flesh. He lived by every righteous ordinance of the law. He did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. Even when his disciples plucked grain as they passed through the fields, the Bible does not say Jesus did. I went back and read every reference to, to make sure I had that right. Because I was thinking Jesus did, but only his disciples did. But Jesus introduced a new dimension of rest. Whereas in the Old Testament, it was the keeping of a set-aside day or a year. Jesus taught that he would internalize rest. It would become a condition. And while the principle of work and rest would continue in the New Testament church, Sabbath-keeping was not practice of maintaining one day above another, but the principle of the law is for our good. Jesus taught that all of these rigorous rituals, the ridiculous regulations, were actually crushing the life out of people, not giving them life. So Jesus, who said that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, He began to teach them about something that He would bring that would really set the stage for a new era of rest in our lives. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you a Sabbath. Now, labor and heavy laden, I don't think that he was speaking particularly of plowing a field or working on a computer or whatever it is that you do. He wasn't talking about that labor. But I think it's very clear that it was labor under life, labor under stress, labor under expectations, 
labor unto trying to measure up to the holiness of God and always falling short. If you are heavy laden, Jesus said, you have been weighted down by the rituals that the Pharisees, the scribes have imposed on you. Come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's what causes an animal to work in harmony with the owner. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus did not say you will find rest for your bodies. Although that's implied in work and rest. But there is a dimension of rest that did not exist before Jesus came and died for our sins. Was buried in a tomb. Resurrected on the third day. Ascended up into heaven and sent back the Holy Ghost. Amen. When Jesus spoke of rest, he was hearkening back to what Isaiah said when he wrote for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing. And I know the Bible says that they did not hear but I am here to say that we have listened to Jesus saying, come unto me. Take my yoke upon me. We've heard the words of Isaiah that said, this is the rest. Amen. Now let me take a time out to say that when you read commentaries on Isaiah 28, stammering lips and another tongue, they say that it refers to a people of a foreign land. Perhaps it's a double reference, but the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 21 said that in the law, in the Old Testament, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. And then Paul says, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. So Paul ties the speaking in tongues that we experience in the New Testament to the prophecy of Isaiah in the Old. This is the rest that will cause the weary to rest. So I'm saying to you today that if you're tired of living in sin, if you're trying to work and measure up to the expectations of a holy God, that you need to come to Jesus Christ today and you need to learn what it is to have rest for your soul. Amen. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No more working to measure up to the perfection of God. No more anxiety about providing for the necessities of life. Because He is our Heavenly Father. And He's promised that if we would seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That all these things, the necessities of life, would be added to us. Forgetting our priorities right. No more fretting about our eternal destiny. The Holy Ghost is the gift of eternal life. That connects us to eternal rest. Amen. The writer of Hebrews wrote about this in Hebrews 4. That there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest. He also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. The true rest, the ultimate rest that 
Hebrews 4 points to is heaven, the new Jerusalem, where there is no more sorrow, no crying, no tears, neither is there any more pain, for the former things are passed away, where God makes a new heaven and the new earth, wherein dwells righteousness, and we will rest there in His presence forever and ever and ever, because we came to an altar one day, where we bowed our head in repentance and turned away from our old sins, and God filled us with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we found rest, we found refreshing, we found renewal at a level that a day off can never provide. The apostle Peter preached about this refreshing in Acts 3.19 when he wrote, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That is in this life. And then it says, and not on the screens, that he shall send Jesus. And there will be a restitution of all things. But when we turn from our sins in repentance, our sins are blotted out. No more works of righteousness to try to please God. We repent and then we trust in the finished work of the cross. The Lamb of God who took away our sins. And we rest in what He did, not in what we did. We recognize that we cannot earn salvation. That we cannot get good enough to get God. But when we rely on Him, when we come to Jesus Christ, there is a refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. How do you get that rest? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Apostle Peter told us the simple plan of salvation in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance is a change of heart, mind, and life direction away from sin and toward God. Baptism in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is for the remission of sins, not joining a church, not an outward sign of an inward work, but for the remission of sins. And it just so happens that every day, including Sunday, we're ready to baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have changing rooms, towels, garments, clean, warm water. Somebody scheduled to baptize you today. Amen. If you've ever experienced water baptism, would you just lift your hand and wave it a little bit? Amen. This is not some obscure experience. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you, your children, and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Jesus came into a world that was broken and worn out by sin. That had been weighed down with those ridiculous regulations I referred to. They cannot breathe. They were smothered. And what God intended from the beginning. That there would be work and rest. That we would find rest in Him. Had been smothered in the lives of people. And in our culture today. There are people who are frustrated. Exhausted. Emotionally spent. That live with incredible anxiety. No wonder we have road rage. No wonder we have former employees going back in and shooting people they work with. All the stress 
and the strife of our era hearkens back to people that have never found a right relationship with God that brings them spiritual rest. And God help us who have the Spirit. But do not walk in the Spirit who try to live by the same rules as ungodly people. God help us realize that God has given us rest for our souls. That we can cast all of our cares upon Him for He cares for us. That we cannot be anxious about tomorrow or try to join the rat race where the rats are winning. But we can rest in the promises of God, in the care of our Heavenly Father, that we can know that He's got this, that He has our soul in His hands. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We rest from our anxiety and fear and our failures knowing that we are completing Christ. We know that we can stop working to sleep. He gives his beloved rest. Sleep. And we can take time to do nothing because God did. In a spiritual sense, this really means that when you come to God, that you cease from your labors. You, you don't come to God saying, God, I'm a good person and I did this and I helped somebody change a flat tire and I'm better than that really bad guy over there. You don't come to God like that. You cease from your labors. You come to God. And you say, Lord, I am undone. I am a sinner. I cannot earn salvation. But I believe that the work you did on the cross provided spiritual rest for me. And I am coming trusting in you and believing, God, that you can lift the stress of sin and you can lift the stress of life. And you can help me know that you are my heavenly father and you've got this. The endless cycle of working harder and harder and getting farther behind is a symptom of our lack of trust in God. Today I'm inviting you to come unto him if you are weary and heavy laden. That you would trust God that he can make the manna last another day. That you would trust God then he can make the produce, the harvest, last for three years. He's a God that will give you rest.